0: let us pray Lord God help us turn our hearts to you and hear what you will speak for you speak peace to your people through Christ our Lord Amen our Hebrew scripture reading today is Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 15 through 20 the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you from your brothers it is to him you shall listen And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. Our epistle reading today is 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 1 through 13. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. May the words
1: of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. I'd like to start by reading a line from a new commentary that I'm growing to love this lectionary cycle. It's by Methodist Bishop Will Willimon. And he says this about this Sunday's passages. Christians are those who in obedience to Christ, bend our lives toward the needs and limitations of others. For us, To be moral not only means to live righteously ourselves, but also to live in a way that the lives of others might be blessed by our living. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb today and guess that there aren't too many folks these days for whom the issue of whether to eat meat sacrificed to pagan idols is a significant problem. And I think that's a real shame. Not because I think anyone should be sacrificing meat to pagan idols, that is not a good life choice, friends, but because since it's not a problem for most of us today, this passage from 1 Corinthians 8 doesn't get enough attention. In fact, I always go through and read my past sermons on a passage as part of my prep each week, In the past two times this has come up in the lectionary, the Revised Common Lectionary cycles every three years, I went with the gospel passage instead, which is not an easy passage. There's exorcism happening in that passage from Mark. I did preach on 1 Corinthians 8 once upon a time when I did a sermon series on 1 Corinthians, but that was just because I had to. So here we go today idol meat. On a surface level, the message is easy. Should we eat meat that has been sacrificed to pagan idols? Who cares? Says Paul. In fact, the word he uses to describe the meat in question is a totally different word than that which would have been used to refer to meat sacrificed at the Jewish temple. There is nothing holy or unholy, about this pagan meat. The Christians were only eating it because once it had been sacrificed or given to the pagan idol, it was it was sold in the butcher shops, often at a cut rate. It's kind of like scoring a buy three, get one free on ground beef at Giant Eagle. Eat it or don't eat it. It's just meat. Just don't hurt anyone else in the process. But... Paul begins to pivot and remind them, there are those for whom those pagan rituals still have a hold. New Christians, folks who came into the faith from pagan communities and not through Jewish communities. Remember, he says, we weren't all raised in good Jewish or Christian homes. So if you have brothers and sisters in your midst who might be new to the faith or have a different background from you, and they're they're trying to learn to lean out of their old pagan ways, you need to suck it up and pay a little more for regular meat or just don't eat meat at all. As most of you know, I'm an athlete. Primarily, I have run distance events ranging from 5K to marathon and have competed at CrossFit. This requires at least five days a week of training when I'm really gearing up for an event, but it's about more than just the amount of physical work I'm putting my body through. Much to my dismay, nutrition matters. I can't eat chips and dip or ice cream all the time. I can't have a glass of wine every night. I have to make sure I'm getting enough protein and veggies and fruit, and I really don't like fruit, for the record. It's gross, but I eat it. Technically, I could still compete and never touch a berry or banana, but I'm hurting my whole body by doing that, and I'm hurting my performance by doing that. I have to think about my digestive system and my heart and my lungs and all sorts of, of body parts and internal organs that I could easily ignore. But I want to lean in to being the best athlete that I can be. And I've been pretty lax about that this year because it's been a struggle to figure out how to work out safely during a pandemic. It's It's been easy to just sit around in the evenings with nothing else to do but eat junk food. But I finally found recently through a friend a new fitness community that's online that has been really encouraging and has helped me get back into a training plan. And they're running a nutrition reset right now. We're three weeks into it because apparently I'm not the only one in this boat and this, this nutrition uh, event includes drinking a ton of water, eating veggies, eating fruit every day. Ugh. My spouse is not part of this fitness group, and he's not been nearly as bad about nutrition as I have this year. And also, it annoyingly does not affect him as much as it affects me. But he's decided to dive into this with me. He's perfectly free to have a pint of Ben and Jerry's without me. But he knows how hard it is to watch someone else eat a pint of Ben and Jerry's when you're trying to get your nutrition reset and get back on a healthy page. So he's chosen not to, because my well being matters to him. On our first read of 1 Corinthians 8, We certainly see that. And our totally valid takeaway might be something like this. If you invite a vegan over to dinner, cook a vegan meal, even if you aren't vegan yourself. Support them in their health or ethical journey, even though you are free to have your own health or ethical journey in regards to diet. Or maybe even a step deeper, Don't drink around a recovering addict. Even though you're perfectly free to have a glass of wine from time to time, you don't want to be the reason they stumble. And in fact, I think that's where I left this passage last time, six years ago. It's not a bad takeaway. I still think you should walk away with at least that today, but I no longer believe that's where Paul leaves this discussion. You see, these were clearly the Christians of power coming to him with this dilemma. Only the wealthy would have had enough meat in their diet to be able to have this argument in the first place. So just by the nature of their argument, they were showing their lack of caring for those in less power or privilege than themselves. It was all about them and their personal freedoms without regards to others who were less well off and had different struggles than they did. Some of their own Christian brothers and sisters didn't have the privilege of having that discussion at all. Some of their sisters and brothers in the faith would only have experienced meat as a pagan Ritual, not as something you ate on a daily basis. So the Corinthian Christians were perfectly free to eat whatever they wanted on a personal level. But when living in community with other people, our individual actions impact others. And we need to take those people into consideration and adjust our actions appropriately. And we need to pay attention to when our arguments about how others are stumbling betray our arrogance. You see, Paul is talking specifically here to those who are set in their faith, the, the power Christians who've been around a while. The caution that he gives against is arrogance. When we dismiss or ignore or fail to care about the dilemmas of those who are newer, weaker, or have different backgrounds or stories than us, we risk harming other people who Jesus died for just as much as he died for us. When we get so set on our perspective and get into that my way or the highway or I'm free to do whatever I please because I'm right and free mindset, we're not just being insensitive. We are actively and arrogantly sinning. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, a Christian is perfectly free, lord of all, subject to none. And a Christian is a perfectly dutiful, servant of all, subject to all. So Paul says, look, I think that idol meat is silly and not at all a temptation to slide into full-blown idolatry. But if my eating it is going to cause harm to someone else, Pass the tofu. Paul will gladly give up some of his freedom to benefit the well-being of a brother or sister. Beyond that, he will gladly humble himself to see the argument about idol meat from another perspective. And he does not come down easily on those who refuse to do so. Knowing you are right or wrong, following the letter of the law or not, doing the right thing isn't enough. Love matters more. Can you imagine what that would look like if every Christian and every congregation in the world took that to heart? What if we all worried less about our own personal freedom and our own being right and more about caring for the spiritual, emotional, and physical well-being of the people around us. I think, for starters, we would have a lot more community services with congregations from different denominations. Conversations about masking would be moot. It's a small freedom to give up to keep someone else safe. We wouldn't be so divided by disagreements about everything under the sun. Not that we'd agree on everything. We'd just be less worried about everyone knowing that we're on the right side of the argument. And we do see this already in some ways that I feel are important to take note of. I can't tell you how many people check in with me about my food allergies before a potluck even though you all are more than welcome to bring whatever you dang well please, even if I can't eat it. Or think about this. This whole worshiping community here has shifted our ways of worshiping and gathering together for nearly a year now in order to protect the vulnerable in our midst to keep our loved ones safe. This is what we are called to. This is what Christian community is meant to be. It's meant to be a place where we are free. Not to do whatever we'd like, but free to love and to be loved really and truly for who we are. Christian community, real, Christian community is a place where everyone is loved and cared for because they are important to Christ, not because they're right. And what a relief, what a joy that is. In closing, I want to share a beautiful prayer by author Will Willimon, who I quoted at the beginning of this sermon. Please pray with me. lord help us to take responsibility for someone other than ourselves help us to walk with you not alone but in the company of others enable us to look at perfect strangers and in your name call them sisters and brothers give us the insight to see the needs of others as claims upon our lives lord help us to take responsibility for someone other than ourselves. Amen.